If you would take your copy of Scripture, open it up to Psalm chapter 96. Our reading from Scripture today is going to be the entire chapter of Psalm 96. If you would, follow along as we read through this, this chapter from the Word of God. O oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for He comes, for He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in His faithfulness. I want to thank the kids for that excellent singing. Uh, if there is any children here that haven't been dismissed to junior church, they can go at this time as well. Take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 96. We just read, if you haven't already turned there. Uh, but before we get into our message, I did want to just take a few minutes and talk to you about my trip to India. Um, as many of you know, uh, in the middle of September, I went to India for, uh, I was there for about a week. Um, and uh, so I just wanted to kind of give you, I can't go into too much detail because of time. Um, I do want to get to the message for this morning, but I just want to give you some highlights of my trip. Uh, first of all, this is the family that we served with um, all the way over on the left. That is uh, Pastor Suresh. Um, he actually will be here this evening. So he is um, in the States for a month um, going around to churches that support him. He is from India. He is Indian. Um, and uh, so that is Pastor Suresh. Next to him is his wife, Kim. And then they have uh, three boys, Marcus, Joseph, and Boaz, and uh, so Suresh will be here tonight with his wife, so I encourage you to be back for that. Um, you can see I'm wearing the same thing there. Uh, this is a shirt that was given to me by the church, and that's why I'm wearing it. Um, now, it is, this is what I was told, it is what dignitaries wear in India, so I think that means you all need to bow to me at some point. <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but uh, so it was a gift. Uh, Tim Fink also received one, and so we wore it on the Sunday there. And uh, so that's what that is about. It's actually very comfortable, too. I might become an Indian pastor and wear it all the time. Um, but uh, that is uh, where we were at, is in the red circle. When you say India, you usually think of the rest, the ice cream cone. Okay, but if you look over on the other side of Bangladesh, there is a little part of India over there. And that is where we were at in a um, state called Imphal. Uh, specifically, I mean, excuse me, a city called Imphal, and the state was called Manipur, and uh, that's where we um, spent our time. 
Um, this is a view from where we stayed. Um, it beautiful area, that green. That Those screens don't do it justice, but beautiful green, that's rice fields. And uh, so every day we looked out. You can't see it, but in the distance there's mountains. So I put this second picture. The mountains surrounded the area. We were in a very mountainous area. The city we were in is Imphal, which is the capital of that state. Uh, it's actually it's a, it's a uh, big city. It's a city of um, a million people. And uh, so we had an opportunity to go into the city a little bit. And what I found when we went through the city is there is people everywhere. Um, and I've been in big cities here. Um, and New York and Chicago and, and others and, and this city, there just seemed to be people everywhere you went. Um, I took this picture for a couple of reasons. In the, uh, the building in the back, you can see a bunch of shops. Um, this building is called M- Mama's Market. Um, it is run entirely by women, and uh, so it's a unique. Uh, it's the largest market run entirely by women, supposedly in the world. That's what we were told. If you look in front of that, you can probably barely see it, but sitting on the ground is um, um, some women sitting there um, selling vegetables. They would sit there all day long, every day, and sell their vegetables. Um, actually, they would squat. I don't know how they did that because it looked really painful, but that's how they sat every day uh, selling. As I said, there were people everywhere. Everywhere we went, there was large crowds just gathered around doing and walking around. Uh, this was a market we went in, uh, and uh, vendors would just come and throw a towel on the ground or a blanket and put their stuff on top of it. Actually, if you saw my daughter up here singing, she is wearing an uh, uh, Indian outfit that I bought at this market, and uh, so it's a traditional outfit that Indians uh, girls would wear, and uh, so it just there's people everywhere. I also found out this. I didn't realize this, but uh, Indian men in general are short. Uh, and so I was walking through this market, and I was, I'm not a tall guy by, by any means, but as I was walking through this market, I realized I was head and shoulders above everyone else. It's kind of interesting. I could see over the crowd, no problem. So enjoyed that, plus the fact that I'm the only pasty white guy in the whole area. So that um, also added to that. Uh, there are markets, little tiny shops everywhere you go. You go to one, it's toys, one, it's snacks, one, it's um, you know, any sort of thing. There was even a place you would go to buy your meat. Um, and so we went this to this place. If you, the guy in the uh, orange in front of him is a pen of chickens. And so you'd go and pick out your chicken. And then if you want to know the rest of the details, I can tell you later because some of you probably don't. But uh, and then we had chicken later that night and it was very good. Uh, Infall is not a very modern city at all. It's um, uh, it's it's rather old, um, and uh, most of the buildings are rather old. I took this picture because this was the only modern building I saw, uh, Harley Davidson. So there you go. You can buy that even in India. And, and uh, but uh, we went and had um, I think coffee and drinks there. Well, I didn't. I don't drink coffee, but everyone else with me did. Um, but our main purpose of being in this city was we uh, Pastor Tim and I spent three days doing a marriage conference. And uh, this is the individuals that were a part of this marriage conference. It was, it was three churches involved. And what I found interesting, um, and, and I think this is a statement against us as busy Americans, but um, they, um, these churches, this was almost every single adult in these three churches. They gave up three days of work. Most of them run these little shops that we saw, and they would shut down their shop for three days to come to this conference um, and uh, so there was 50 people there uh, each and every day. 
Um, some of them uh, had to close down their shops to do it. Some of them worked later that night. There was one man who, uh, all the way on the right, the guy in the uh, whitish blue shirt, uh, he was one of our translators. He uh, uh, would translate for us all day, and then at night he would go and work his job in the evening until midnight and then come back the next day to our conference. But we talked all week about marriage and family, and uh, um, it, was, it was a blessing. For many of them, this was a lot of the biblical truths we were teaching they had never heard before. Um, and just simple things that I think oftentimes we take for granted because we've heard it so much. Um, they were just eager to study the Bible and hear about how to improve their marriage. I'll give you one example. Um, I don't see where he's in this picture. There was, a, it was an individual that I um, talked to quite a bit. His name was Samuel. And <coughs> Samuel and Rebecca... Um, we had dinner at their house one night, and Samuel is one of the leaders in, this ch- in the church. Um, and Samuel was telling me that one of the things I said was how we are to, as husbands, we're to adore our wives. Uh, that's biblical. Uh, the Bible talks about that, and First Peter talks about the idea of knowing your wife and treating her with, uh, as if she's special, because she is. And so I made, and as I was talking about that, I made the comment in the whole group that um, I, I love to treat my wife special. I love to, I made the comment, I love to hold my wife's hand. And I didn't realize that, but it was something for them. That was an odd thing. And he came to me later and he said, I just want you to understand, I really like what you said there, but in our culture, people don't hold hands in public, even married couples. They don't show affection at all. Um, when we went to that market where I bought my daughter's dress, they were the couple that took me because uh, his wife helped me pick it out. But uh, as we were walking through the market, I watched him reach over and grab his wife's hand and keep walking. And he's like, I, and he told me later, I just want it. And just yesterday I got an email from him and he said, we're, we're trying to live in a biblical way as, as a couple. And it's just exciting to see what God is doing in, uh, in their church, in their ministry, but we spent three days, as I said, teaching. Um, this is the church building. Uh, uh, the bottom level is the church, actually. There's two rooms there. The next two levels are where the pastor and his family live. Um, uh, the fourth level is where Pastor Tim and I stayed. Um, there's guest rooms and also offices up there. The old, top level is open right now. Eventually, when God provides them the money, they're going to put their auditorium up there and uh, so that is there. That is the, um, the group that came for the conference. Actually, Samuel, the one I mentioned, is in the front row there in the pinkish-red shirt there. Uh, but uh, that, they met and sat in those very uncomfortable seats uh, every day uh, for a number of hours. Here's me speaking. Yes, couldn't find one where my mouth didn't look stupid, so oh well. <laughs> Such is life. Um, that was the, the conference ran Thursday, Friday, Saturday, as I said, all day, 8 to 4. Um, and so we were busy. We were teaching. We were cramming in. We would take little tiny breaks, and the people would say, can we skip breaks so we can keep going? And Tim and I would say, no, we need breaks. So um, but that, that was uh, exciting. And then on Sunday, uh, we, um, I had the privilege of speaking in this church. They asked me to preach. Um, I have actually, um, could, could you turn on the sound for this here? Um, I have a... Uh, um, I want to just play this little bit of this. This is them singing.
stop it right there because just a moment after that, one of the ladies started picking her nose, and I didn't think you needed to see that. So, uh, <laughs> but anyway, it was after the service Sunday morning, um, we had a really unique opportunity. Um, Pastor Suresh, who I said will be here tonight, he is connected with a lot of people in that area. He knows a lot of people. It's where he, it was, he grew up in that area, and uh, he. Uh, he has a friend who is um, in the military, and he is um, a commander over the whole region. He doesn't actually live where we were at, but he's a commander over the whole region. He's also oversees then this particular site. This is what we would call our state capital. It's their parliament building, and uh, and so he oversees this. Now he wasn't there, but he called um, one of the the men under him. Uh, who is the commander of this area, of this particular property. He called them and said, hey, I have some friends in the area. Could you get us into the property? And so they did. They let us onto the property. Uh, so we were walking around this property. It's a beautiful building. Um, everything is marble and, and incredibly beautiful wood and everything. And as we're walking around, suddenly this guy came running up, uh, which is a little scary because all their soldiers run around with machine guns. So I was a little afraid by that. But he came up and said, the general would like to see you. And so they took us to this tent, and we walked in, and there's this general, uh, very intimidating-looking man, and he wanted to give us tea. And so we sat and had tea with the general, um, and uh, apparently, from what we understand, is their, their military culture is based on fear, and he is terrified of his boss, and so he was trying to, you know, look good in his boss's eyes by inviting us to tea, and so that's what he did, but... Uh, we had a great time with him, and so that was Sunday afternoon. That evening, we went to another church in a village not, uh, it was about a half hour away, uh, and I had the opportunity to preach here as well, and uh, so that was a great time worshiping there. That was Mon- Sunday. Monday, um, Tim Fink was there not only for PEP, which is Pastoral Enrichment Program, the conference, but he was also there for his new uh, job, which is Bibles International, and so Monday, we traveled down to another city, Church and Poor, uh, which um, is interesting. Um, it's, I just checked the other day. It's only 40 miles on the map, okay? And it took us two hours. A couple reasons. Number one, the roads are horrible. I mean, what you consider a bad road here would be like luxury for them, okay? I mean, you're going wrong about... 20 miles an hour, and all of a sudden there's a pothole that's, you know, deeper than your car practically, and you've got to swerve around. Not only that, there's everything you can imagine on the roads. I took this picture. This is about the best one I could find. These, these things are called tuk-tuks. They're these little vehicles that are smaller than smart cars, and, and you will drive along, and I saw one, and I took a picture, but all I got was the backside of it, so you couldn't really tell, but I saw one, and it had 12 people in it. I mean, this thing is tiny, and they just jam them in there. You'll see uh, mopeds with four people sitting on it going down the the road, and so you're constantly weaving in and out. There are no uh, traffic laws. There are no uh, lights. There are no traffic signs. You just go, and hopefully you don't kill anyone and no one kills you. They beep all the time. It's not anger. It's just, hey, I'm here. I just want you to understand I'm here. So we traveled two, down, two hours down at Church and Poor, and when we got down there, we were, um, Pastor Tim, Tim Fink had to meet with a couple different groups. Um, they're translating the Bible, and so he had to meet with translators and other people and 
talk about the progress in uh, these different languages. Uh, there are a lot of tribal languages there, and so they're in the process of translating the language um, into uh, translating the Bible into their language. The city of Church and Poor, we're in the city, and this is interesting, and uh, I, I took a bunch of pictures um, in this city. The, the house we stayed in, we were, again, all these houses they built straight up, and so we were on, I was on the fifth floor of this house, and so I took this picture out. You see the church there. I didn't get another one, but if you were to look around, there were uh, five churches within just a few blocks. I said to the pastor, Pastor Stephen was his name, I said, Pastor Stephen, I just assumed this area was all Hindu. Uh, the, the first city we were in, Imphal, was. It was primarily Hindu. But this city, he said, is largely Christian. I said, that's kind of interesting. And he said, it's because 100 years ago, suddenly, United States, we started sending missionaries in other countries, and it's the influence of the missionaries. The problem was is most of them didn't get additional training or continual training. And so many of them, their understanding of the Bible is, is extremely weak. Um, you know, he said it's not, it's not uncommon to meet someone who claims to be a Christian and also at the same time is a prostitute or a drug dealer or, or something like that because it just they don't understand the Bible completely. And so there's churches all over, yet there's still this... Uh, darkness about it Um, but the church that we were with um, they um, it's a large church actually about 250 people which for that area is pretty big for that for India is pretty big Um, but uh, they have a massive ministry the pastor is a man he's a visionary Um, kind of embarrassed me thinking about how what a vision he has but he uh, they have a Bible college um, they have a translation work that they're doing. They have a Christian school that has 700 students. Um, and actually, a large majority of them are Hindu, but it's the best school in town, so kids go there. Um, they have a um, boys and girls home, um, which I'll show you a picture of in a little bit. And then they also have a, they, he just started three years ago, a Christian camp. Um, and so I took a couple pictures of the Christian camp. Um, this is Christian camp. There is a not normal thing because um, they don't typically in India take vacations, and so camp would be viewed as a vacation. Um, but he is building up this program, and he's doing some great things there. Um, this is at the top of a hill um, behind me. Their building is where they're building their chapel. As you can see, it's in the mountains. It's on a on a reservoir. It's beautiful up there. This is at the bottom of the hill. Looking back up at the top, you can see. Uh, the camp buildings, and behind me in this picture is where the lake is, and uh, so it's just very, very pretty area. We spent some time going around there. Uh, the the last morning I was there, they took us into the boys and girls uh, home. Uh, uh, we we met in there at 6:30, and the kids had already been up. They get up early, so they had already been up for an hour and a half. And uh, they brought us in, and they said, um, introduced us, and they and we're celebrities. So now they wanted me to get up and teach them a lesson. So without any warning, I was able to do that. But it was it was great to um, see these kids and the excitement that they had for God. I want to thank all of you for praying for me. If you want to know more details, you're welcome to come talk to me. I have more pictures, but I didn't have time to go through that. Um, I do want to uh, take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 96. I'm going to jump right into this um, and uh, get right in there and talk about 
this passage, this psalm is um, very similar to what we see in 1 Chronicles 16 when the Ark of the Covenant um, is brought to its resting place. It's probably when it's written, but there's debate about when this psalm was written, but most people believe it's in that time period when the Ark of the Covenant was brought back to its resting place. Um, we can look at this psalm in a number of different ways. What I want to do is I want to kind of look at an overview of this song, uh, psalm and tell you about what God says about worship. Because if this is a time when they were coming back and the Ark of the Covenant is coming back, then they are worshiping God. And so God is declaring to them through this how they are to worship. And so I have four essentials that I want to talk about in the next few moments of what worship is about. What is worship? And so the first one... We are to exalt the name of God through worship. I want to actually, before we go, I want to be, uh, look to the Lord in prayer. God, we are thankful for this time. And Lord, as we transition now into your word, um, I pray you'll help us to understand this important text. And I pray you'll help us to have a heart and a desire to worship you. Lord, be with me and my words as I speak. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. We are to exalt the name of the Lord through worship. Look at the first verse there. Uh, Pastor Will read this a moment ago. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. You'll notice that this entire psalm is filled with God. God's name or, or pronoun for God is used in every verse except for uh, 11 and 12, but it implies God in those. But as we look in this passage, we're told three times to do what? Sing. Three times in verses 1 and 2, we're told to sing. Now, whenever in Scripture you see something repeated in triplicate, it's to get our attention. Remember in Isaiah 6, where it says, holy, 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 it's the same idea. Here we're told to sing. Singing is something seen throughout all of Scripture. Way back at the beginning, and Job it, it describes this, it says, when the morning stars sang together. This was in creation. Way back when God created the sun, the moon, and the stars, singing became something to worship God. There's always been singing. There will always be singing, uh, even at the end of the age. And, and Revelation says that here the angels are singing the song of Moses, and, and they're singing to God, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Since the world was created with a symphony of joyful praise, and all creation will break into song when Jesus comes again, we are told by God to sing in the meantime as we await his appearing. I love watching many of you sing. Um, now, some of you could probably sing with more excitement, but many of you I, I love watching, and it's evident the joy of the Lord as you sing. I love watching the kids up here as they sang and uh, just with, with excitement. The Bible tells us that we are to be people of singing. Making a joyful noise is not... Um, dependent on how well you sing. Okay? Um, how many of you would say this about yourself, that you are not a good singer? Okay? My guess is that some of you raised your hand. You're probably actually not that bad. Okay? But we always like to put ourselves down. That is not an excuse not to sing praises to God. It should be something we should do. Making a joyful noise is not about whether you like the song or don't making a joyful noise together. You say, well, that's not really my favorite song, but it's, it's a song of praise to God. 
And so it's something that we should be singing together. Making a joyful noise is a simple response back to God in worship. And here, Jesus says, oh, sing to the Lord. But I want you to notice something interesting he says in that verse. He says what? Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Now, what does he mean by that? This phrase, new song, refers to something that is fresh and refreshing. It refers to a truth that is freshly received by understanding or experience. What do I mean by that? Have you ever had a time in your life where, man, you've read this certain passage over and over and over again, and then something happens in your life? Maybe you go through a trial, or maybe you go through a different time, difficult time, and, and then you go back and you read that verse, and all of a sudden it's like, it's like lights went on and you went, now I get it. I'm sure many of you have been there. That is a new understanding of something, and I believe that that is something that God allows us to do. This uh, does not automatically mean in this passage he's talking about a newly written song, but it's certainly that's a possibility. But the idea is that there, there should be constant newness in, in your relationship with God, and it should come out in the way that you sing. We see this idea in Lamentations, and, and actually we see both these things in Lamentations. Look what it says in Lamentations. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, the unchangeableness of God. The immutability of God. That God never changes. His mercies never come to an end. But then look, look what it says. But they're new every morning. They never change. On one hand, God never changes. Yet, on the other hand, God, man, it's constantly coming new to me. And it should be to us. And that's what the psalmist is saying here. He's saying, sing something where there's new life every day. Every moment. I, I love singing the, the old songs, the songs of old. But I also love learning new ones as well. And I, I believe that that is biblical because I believe that as we spend time in the Word, God is going to give us a new experience of, uh, through the Word, the old Word, but a new experience. And through that, God gives us an, an excitement. I love that there, we're in a time right now Maybe you don't realize this. We're in the time right now where there are more hymns being written than they have been in a very long time. Some incredibly powerful hymns. And and we should be thrilled with that. That we get to sing these new songs. Sometimes we wrongly think that because God and His Word never changes, that means that anything new is wrong. And that is not the, the idea. In fact, this passage says there should be some newness all the time to what we do. And I believe that's because the Word of God is new. The Word of God is alive. Look what it says in, in, in Hebrews chapter 4. For the Word of God is alive, is living and active. So because the Word is alive, God continues to teach us through His Word different truths. If you are saved when you are three years old and you live until you're 93, you know what? There still should be newness when you're 93. There still should be where you're reading the Bible and you're like, Oh, man, I never saw that before. Because it's, it's, it's alive. It's alive. And there should be a difference. New hymns and new praise songs are essential to meet the ever-varying manifestations of God's multifaceted character. They are essential because we learn and we understand as we grow through the old truth of Scripture, we grow and we learn new things. 
Uh, This expression, new song, occurs several times in the book of Psalms, indicating that a fresh outburst of rejoicing are essential and important and helpful to us in our growth. Can you imagine what it would be like if you, you know, tomorrow night or sometime you turn on the news and it's there, you're realizing that they're reporting news that was three years old? Wouldn't be very interesting, would it? I sometimes wonder if some of us are reading the old news in our spiritual life. We've become stagnant. It's so long since you've experienced anything fresh in your Christian life. It's been so long since there's been any change in your, in your Christian life and you're just living on fumes of, of, of an old relationship you used to have with Christ. Martin Luther, I love what he said. He said this, Christ is fresh to me today as if he had shed his blood this very hour. And that, that happened for us 2,000 years ago, but it should be like it just happened and it should, it should be a newness to you. And so we see in this passage that we are to exalt the name of God through our worship, through our singing. Secondly, we are to proclaim the name of God to the nations. Look at the end of verse 2. He says in verse 2, Sing to the Lord, bless His name, tell of His salvation from day to day, declare His uh, glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the peoples. This leads us to that a second essential of worship, and that is proclaim the good news. Look at that verse. It says, tell. Tell what? Verse 2. Uh, that is the idea of proclaim good tidings. Tell of our salvation from day to day. And then he says, declare. Declare means recount, replay, over and over again. Declare it. Declare what? His glory or his majesty or his, his splendor among the nations, among all the people. The message that we have today is that Jesus Christ saves and your friends and your family, they need to hear it from you. And that's what he's saying here. He said, if you're going to worship, if you're going to sing this new song, then well, what you're also going to do is you're going to declare it to the people around you. See, I, I believe that witnessing, that t- declaring the gospel only comes out of a heart that is singing, that is worshiping a fresh song. It tells us there that that is what we are to be doing. We're told how to proclaim it, to tell of our salvation. We're told when to do it, day to day, and we're told where to do it among the nations. Because of what we have received, because of the word God has given us, our method is to proclaim the good tidings of his salvation on a daily basis to those around us. As we gather together and as we grow in the Word of God and our understanding, as we sing, it should be something that causes us to walk out that door and say, you know what, now I want to go and give. I want to give the Gospel. But our mandate is not as believers to make sure the Gospel message is just shared with people we know. Look what it says in that passage again. Look what it says in verse 3. Declare His glory where? Among the nations. Among all people. In short, I believe that this is telling us that we are to be world Christians who focus and pray for world evangelists. That's that's why I chose this passage on a day I was going to talk to you about my trip, because I believe that we're to be world Christians. I haven't recently, but in the past I've had people ask me, why is it I take mission trips? 
You know, we haven't, and not everyone's been saved in our own country. Why are we going to other parts of the world? Because we're commanded to. I believe that we're supposed to have this view. Just as this was written to the nation of Israel, and the nation of Israel was called to think beyond its borders, and we too are called to think beyond our own parameters. To see a world that needs Christ. And I think sometimes, if all you know, if all you think about is Mishawaka, Indiana, you lose sight of that. I'll give you a personal testimony of my weakness in this. This trip that I took to India um, was culturally one of the hardest for me. And I remember one of the first days when we were, we were driving around and we went to that uh, building I said was the most modern building in the area. And I was struggling with, as a, as a you know, American, let me put it that way, I was struggling with my surroundings. I was struggling with the fact of, you know, there's people everywhere. It's, it's dirty. I asked the, mission, uh, the pastor one day, I said, what's the trash system here? He said, we don't have one. Conscientious people will burn the trash. The rest will just throw it out into the street or into, as I went by a river, into a river. There's trash everywhere. And that, you know, American in me started going, I don't like this. I remember one night we went into a hospital to visit someone, and um, I was, for lack of a better term, I was completely freaked out by it. I had to go to the bathroom, and so they said, oh, here's the bathroom over here. I go in there, and I walked in, and I realized it was not a modern toilet. Don't need to describe it now, but it wasn't anything you want to go in. And I remember getting all freaked out by it. Went to the room where we were visiting this guy, and it was a room um, about half the size of the annex over here, and, and in it there was 20 people and 20 beds. And I remember walking in going, oh, I could just feel the dirtiness. I'm going to catch something from these sick people. And God, in that moment, as we sat and prayed with this individual who is a relative of the pastor, and he is in there as younger than me, and he's there because he's so consumed in alcoholism, it's destroying his body, and he's unsaved. And I sat there, and God broke my heart in that moment of saying, all you care about is your convenience. When here I am in a city of a million people, and 75% of them are Hindu, and are on their way to hell. But yet, that's what happens so often to us. We get so uh, just caught in our own parameters, and we forget what the Bible says. And here it says, declare His glory among the nations. We as a people have a responsibility. I know, you know, I went on this trip, and I know God is not calling me to India. But God is calling, so I didn't go on that trip for that purpose, but God is calling me to be one who my thought process and the way that I think is not bound by my own parameters. I was listening just this morning to a pastor uh, on, uh, on, uh, on the internet, and he was, and he was preaching a message, and he was talking about persecution around the world, and he said this, and I think we often do this, he said, you know, I often think about how they're persecuted over there, it's them, and we're over here, and he said, but the Bible tells us that we're the body of Christ, and so if one is harmed, then the other one is harmed. 
And we need to have that view as a church that we're not just about Mishawaka. We're not just about Michiana or even Indiana. We're about the world. I'm glad that we're a church that partners with missionaries, but I think there is so much more we can be doing as a church. We're called to go to every nation. I said this a couple months ago, but do you realize that there are still approximately 6,000 people groups who have never even heard the gospel? There are still thousands of languages in this world that still do not have a Bible that they can read. One day we met with a group that uh, they're trying to translate the Bible into their language. They don't have anything. So we asked, what do you do in your church service? And he said, in our church service, we have everyone has a Bible that they can read, maybe, but some of them don't even have Bibles, so some of them it might be in one language, and they might have 15 different languages that they all have Bibles in, maybe. But they don't, they don't have one in their own language that they can read, one in a language that all of them can read together. We need to do more. We need to have a global perspective. And that's what the psalmist is saying. Declare his glory where? Among the nations. His marvelous works among all the peoples. Maybe God's not calling me to India, but maybe God is calling you to leave your comfort of your home. Maybe it's not to go permanently. Maybe it's just to go on and go visit and get a better perspective of the world around us. We get often too focused on our own area, our own nation, that we forget that we have the responsibility to the nations of the world. Not socially, not politically, spiritually. We have that responsibility. And so we are to proclaim the name of God to the nations. Thirdly, we, are to, we, we um, should say we are, we are to express the greatness of God in praise. We express the greatness of God in praise. Uh, we're going to not go as quick as long in detail as we did the last few verses, but in 4 through 9, it talks about uh, the greatness of God and how God is, is, is this splendor and majesty and all these things, and, and, and we are to express that. God is not just some tribal God, but He's king over all the nations. It says in this passage in verse 4, He is to be feared above all gods. It's interesting. Look at verse 5 there. It says, For all the gods of the people are worthless idols. That, that phrase is a play on words in Hebrew. We don't see it, but in Hebrew it is. It's, it's really an interesting phrase because it, that phrase, worthless idols, is the Hebrew word Elohim. You say, well, how's that a play on words? Because in Hebrew language, Elohim is, is God, but Elohim is worthless idols. And he's saying all these other gods, they're not Elohim. They are not God creator. They are not God uh, majestic. They are worthless. They mean nothing. God is exalted. God has done all these things, verse 5, the end of verse 5, but the Lord has made the heavens. Our God, the Creator, has put on glory, uh, His glory on display and is to be feared and honored above everyone and everything else. As such, we should worship Him with everything that we have. I love uh, Charles Spurgeon, the preacher, um, when he preached on this passage. He said this. Listen to what he said. He said, Praise should be proportionate to its object. 
Therefore, let it be infinite when rendered unto the Lord. We cannot praise Him too much, too often, too zealously, too carefully, too joyfully. He deserves that nothing in worship should be little, but all honor rendered unto Him should be given in the largest of our hearts with the utmost zeal for our glory. I want to read that first phrase again. He said, Praise should be proportionate to His object. In, in other words, if we serve an infinite, powerful, incredible God, then you know what our praise should be? Infinite. It should be powerful. It should be something, but oftentimes it's just like, on Sunday I come in here and I praise God for a few minutes. That's, that's not what it should be. In verse 6, four attributes are, are personified as if they were attendants surrounding God. Look what it says in verse 6. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. God is beautiful. He's arrayed in splendor. He's clothed in majesty. He's armed with power and glory that is brighter than the sun. And He should be worshipped. He should be praised. And then in verses 7-9, through 9, the psalmist renews this urgency to proclaim the Lord. He says in verse 7, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the people. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Again, we see the threefold use of a word, ascribe, just as we saw sing in uh, the first verse. What does He tell us there? Ascribe. That word ascribe means give. Give to the Lord the honor and the praise that is due. But it's interesting to note that, that it, is, it is something that we are to take to the nations. But look at verse 7. It says, ascribe to the Lord what? O families of the people. It's interesting because God is putting upon us as families, He's singling out families that it's our responsibility to ascribe glory. It is not the church's responsibility solely. Okay? It is the church's responsibility, but here it's given it to the families. Families, you go ascribe. You go do that. I think this goes back to, to Genesis chapter 12 where God comes to Abraham and says to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you and, and those who uh, dishonor you I will curse and in you all the families of the world shall be blessed. And we're blessed through Abraham because of Jesus Christ. And here David says to the people of Israel then, go and, and, and give to the Lord what's due to him as a family. Then God has ordained the family unit as a special and unique creation of His. As parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and uh, adoptive parents and grandparents and whatever position you have, we, are, we, we must do all that we can to make sure our families are honoring God as we live the mission that He has given to us. As a church then, we, are, we, are, we have come alongside and we're committed to help you as families and your families informing your, the, the faith in your children's life. It's your responsibility to proclaim the Lord. You see, um, he goes on and he says in verse 9, worship the Lord. So we're supposed to give, we're supposed to ascribe, we're supposed to worship. That, that word worship there uh, means to fall on your face and bow down. Um. I jokingly said that since I'm wearing this, I'm a dignitary and you're supposed to bow down to me. You don't really have to. That was a joke. But if we were in a culture where that was the case, where, where, where governmental authorities were treated that way, 
the idea would be you bow down and you get your face in the ground to show respect and honor. Here he says worship. We're to give to God. What are we to give to God? There's three things uh, in our notes there. and, and uh, We're to give to God our words. We're to give our God our words. We should, we should what we say, and, and Hebrews talks about this, through, through Him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of the lips. We're to give to God. How do you speak? What is the words that you say? Are you reflecting God in what you say? Are your words praise, praising God on a regular basis? We're to give to God our, uh, secondly, our things. We're to worship God as we offer our financial resources to Him. We don't have time to turn there, but Malachi, Malachi teaches that when we hold back our giving from God, we end up robbing God, and when we do that, we miss out on blessings. We're to give. Here in this passage, he says in verse uh, 8, bring an offering. Offering was, was different than, like, you think of your tithes or offerings in the sense that you, you give on Sunday. This offering was a thanksgiving offering. This was an offering that they would bring, and they would come into the court of the temple, and it was their way of saying, God, we, we praise you and we thank you for what you have done, and here is our, our offering of thanks to you. Then finally, we are to give ourselves. Romans talks about this when he says that we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice. We get down at the end of verse 9. I want you to notice that. He says, worship in verse 9. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Then he says, tremble before Him all the earth. That word tremble is, is interesting. As I was studying it, the word tremble means to writhe in pain. I thought, I thought on that for a moment. And I thought, what, what does that mean? We're supposed to worship God but what are we specifically worshiping God in that, in that verse, in verse 9, in the splendor of His holiness? And then he says, writhe in pain. Why is that? The idea is that we are in so in awe of the wisdom of God that we look at God and we see God is perfect in every single thing He does. He's holy. And then I look at myself and I go, mm, I'm not. And it should cause me to, to be in pain, not physically but spiritually, emotionally, when I begin to compare myself to a holy God. And that is our act of worship. When we tremble before Him, then what will we do? We will give Him everything. We'll give Him all that we can. Why? Because we realize that He deserves it. And that goes back to what we saw in verse 4, for greatly is, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. There's no limit to what we should give to the Lord. Then finally, we are expectingly anticipating the coming of the reigning king. The final uh, essential is found in verses 10 through 13 where we are to, we're called to expect the coming of the Lord. Look what it says in verse 10. It says, say to the nations. What does it tell us to say to the nations in verse 10? The Lord reigns we sang a song just a little bit ago behold our god and in that song it says the lord reigns we are to be telling the world around us that that god reigns 
That he is in control. That should be our message to the world. We see that throughout the Bible. In, in Isaiah, it talks about uh, taking the good news to the world. And it says, how beautiful upon the mountain are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. That's not often, though, what we do, is it? It's not often what the people of the world do. And in Psalms 2.1, it tells us that the nations are raging against God and setting themselves against God. But in verse 10, it tells us that's about to change. Look what it says at the end of verse 10. He will judge the peoples with equity. God is in charge. He is the ruler and He is the judge. That word judge carries with it the idea that God sovereignly rules over the nations and he will judge everyone with fairness. And then in verses 11 and 12, we see the whole creation uh, pondering God's rule and rejoicing. In verse 11, let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exalt and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Here we see the heavens are glad and we see the inanimate uh, creation will be animate in its adoration of God. If creation worships, shouldn't we? Oftentimes we hold back. And the last stanza of this verse and ver- or this psalm in verse 13 gives us hope. It says this before the Lord. Uh, it's talking about the all the uh, inanimate objects, how they worship before the Lord. Why? For He comes. For He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people in His faithfulness. Jesus will come and He will dispense judgment. He will vindicate believers. He will judge unbelievers. And He will establish His rule forever. And His kingdom will have no end. But in the meantime, while we are worshiping, while we are proclaiming to the world, while we are uh, expressing His greatness, we are to be anticipating His return. We're to be waiting for that. We need to ready ourselves so that we don't shrink away upon His return. In closing, and I'm about to close, I just want to give you uh, five action steps. What are things that we can do as uh, believers over the next coming days in, in, in talking about this passage. First of all, I want to challenge you to listen to and sing worship music. Spend time listening at home. Uh, there, we live in a culture today where that is very easy to do. You know, I, I listen to music all the time on my phone. Okay, listen to songs that glorify God. You know, and I'm going to guarantee that not everyone in here is going to have the same type of music you want to listen to. That's okay, as long as what you're listening to is, is glorifying God and is exalting God and is pointing you to God. Listen to 
music. Secondly, learn more about unreached people groups. We're supposed to go to all the nations of the world, all the peoples of the world. And so learn more. There are so many people and there are ways that you can help even even here in, in Mishawaka to reach people that are uh, have not been reached before. Maybe it's giving financially. Maybe it's praying. Maybe it's other ways that you can help out. And uh, so there are resources you can look up. One, a great place to look is uh, a website, joshuaproject.net. Joshua Project deals with all the unreached people groups of the world. Go there, joshuaproject.net, and you can read all about that. Thirdly, continue neighboring. We talked about back in, uh, in, in July and August about how we are to, to, to go to our neighbors, and we define that that doesn't mean just the people that live next door or around us. That means people all around us, because God says everyone is our neighbor, and so we go and we reach them, and, and we build relationships, and we, uh, we, we, as we praise God and more learn more of God, we have more of a desire to go and, and tell others. Have gospel conversations with people as often as you possibly can. Pointing people to Christ. Fourth, pray for missionaries daily. Maybe it's you pray for a missionary, a different missionary every day. Uh, go in our back hallway. You'll see the display of our missionaries. Rachel Cooper just changed that. It looks beautiful back there. You can look and you can see the name of our missionaries. Uh, take a picture of it if you need to and remember them, but pray for them. You should know who our missionaries are because you pray for them constantly. Pray for them. And finally, prepare for Jesus to come back. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus yet, you need to ask him to rescue you from your sins. If you're a believer, make sure you're walking with him. Make sure that you are anticipating his return and you are worshiping him and you are, are in a fresh and new way every day discovering who God is. If you're not, maybe there's sin. Confess that sin before God. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this time that we can come together. And I'm thankful for all that you teach us through your word. And I just pray that you will help us to be people who, who, who love your word, that your word is, is alive to us, it's new and it's fresh every day to us as we study it. And I pray that you help as that, that word becomes new and afresh, then we will proclaim it to the world around us, to, to our neighbors, to our community, to our world. Lord, we will continue to declare your greatness. And we'll do all of this in anticipation of your return. And I pray that you help us to live for you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.